0: Back in chapter 15 today, turn your Bible uh, to John chapter 15. I hope you brought your Bible. It is weird to be in this day and age where everything is projected or you got a phone in front of you with an app. That's cool too, but I want you to actively open something. App, Bible, read along with us. Yes, you can cheat and use the screens if you really need to, but we'll be there in a minute. Um, My question for you today as we start is, did you bear fruit this week? Did you go out and bear fruit? Were you a branch that was abiding in the vine? Right? The lifeblood, the sap that comes through the vine to the branches, those branches bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Did you bear fruit this week? What did that look like in your life? Was your life this last week filled with bold living, with fruitful obedience? Did you abide in him and abide in his word this week? The verse that stuck with me most since last week was verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That my life is evidenced by fruitful obedience, that I truly am a disciple of Christ. Not just this compartmentalized living of, here's Sunday is my church day, and here today I look most like a a disciple, but my life is full of fruits, fruitful obedience to the Word of God, and so prove that I am a true disciple of His, not some fake follower like we talked about last week. Jesus starts off, He says, I am the true vine in chapter 15. We touched on it briefly. He says true vine intentionally. Talked about how it's not just a clever metaphor for life and vitality, right? He's the vine. We're the branches. We need to stay plugged in him because without him, we can do nothing. Without him, those branches wither. They are gathered. They are thrown into the fire. But those that abide in him, that sap, that life, that flow from the vine to the branches bears much fruit. But he says true vine on purpose because in the Old Testament, at times, Israel is referred to as the vine. Jesus is coming in, right? He completes, he he fulfills all of the Old Testament. The old vine, the old vine was Israel itself, the the nation, God's chosen people. If you read in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, a lot of the, uh, the prophets and even the Psalms refer to Israel as the vine. But remember, all Scripture... All of the Old Testament, all of its practices were a foreshadowing of the one who would come to fulfill it all in Jesus. That Christ is the better Moses. He's the better high priest. Not in the line of Aaron, but in the line of Melchizedek. He's the better temple. He's the better, the best, the most sufficient, eternal sacrifice. And here he says, I am the true vine. He is the better Israel. Abide in him. Remain in Him. Don't merely remain in your heritage, in your nationalistic pride, but He has come to fulfill it all. So abide in me, the true vine, and let me abide in you. That remaining, that staying, that living, living in the life of Christ, His life and His vitality, energizing and giving life to the branches, that union that we already celebrated this morning with communion truly being in him, not a fake follower like we said, not someone who hears the word and does not do the words of Christ, someone who merely wants blessings from Christ without the person or lordship of Christ. Those branches do not bear fruit. They're thrown into the fire. A lot of times when we're talking about those salvation moments in church, we say, hey, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right? We use that phrase, Lord and Savior, and I, I just want to be clear, right? If he is not Lord, he is not Savior, okay? It's not, you can't have one without the other. When you make him Lord, when you see the beauty of Christ, that's why I've been using the, the phrase, behold him. When you see him as the Christ, there were many people in the book of John that we've seen so far that saw him but didn't see him, you know what I'm saying? They saw the miracles. They saw all the stuff they did. Their bellies were full of the fish, and they followed him because of what he could do for them, but they didn't truly see him as their greatest treasure, the surpassing worth. They didn't truly see him, and they did not make him Lord. As soon as their appetites weren't filled, they turned their back and went away. We must behold him as the giver of everything. He is the way, the truth. He is the life. Or is it begrudgingly, right? We look at Jesus as he's the one who demands things of me, that he takes things away from me. He takes away my fun and my living. Now I have to live for him. Ugh. It's my prayer that we would behold him we would see the treasure that is Christ. That we would see him as the true vine, the giver of everything, that apart from him we can do nothing, that we apart from him we have nothing. The only thing that we have is death and destruction. So let's abide in the true vine. Let's behold the true vine. Let's trust in him. Let's read uh, Our text this morning, continuing on in John chapter 15, it says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray before we move on this morning. And as I pray, you pray. Whatever it is you're bringing into this room this morning, whatever uh, distractions, whatever chaos from the week, whatever hurts or pains, whatever it is, uh, take a moment, you pray, we'll all pray individually, you pray a personal prayer of what you, got, what you need God to do in this service today, what you'd like Him to do in your life today, okay? And I know He'll be faithful to answer it, okay? And maybe He'll just reorient your entire prayer by the end of the by the end of the day today maybe your prayer will be something completely different and praise God for that as well so you pray Brother, I thank you that you're faithful, that you hear your people, and God, that we can ask. We can ask in your name and you are faithful to us. And so God, today, <clears throat> help us to behold you, help us to cherish your word, that you have the words of life, that your ways are higher and better, and that we can trust your word and obey your word, and you cause us to bear the most beautiful fruit. I pray that this church would be vibrant because it abides in you. That these people would be vibrant to the glory of Christ because we abide in you. So God, today have your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text today starts with verse 12. It says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is what we've been talking about for the last few chapters. Starting back in chapter 13, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and then he declares that he's giving them a new commandment, right? And I made a big deal about it because was it really new, right? This is my a new commandment that I, the new commandment I give to you that you love one another. But what made it so new is because it's the love that he loved them with. That the master, that the rabbi, That the teacher, that the one who was above, was serving his students, serving his disciples. It was God emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, and going to the most objectionable part of a person, their feet. The dirt, the grime, the dust, sandals, right? Dirty streets. He knelt down before them, and he made them clean. This is our Jesus This is that new commandment that he gives to them, that you would love each other just as I loved you. You also are to love one another, it says. In fact, in verse 35, he says, This is the type of love that my people, my church, my followers will be marked with. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These last few chapters... This is all part of the discourse of Christ the night before he's arrested. It's all part of his parting words to his disciples. I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving you my peace. Talked about in chapter 14, right? He's leaving them his peace, the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's promising to them. Verse 15, he talks about my joy. He's leaving them joy that my joy might be in you and that that joy may be full. And here today, we're talking about love, the greatest love, the greater love. Right? So he's leaving them, these parting words, and it's full of peace, it's full of joy, it's full of love. Today, we're hopefully we'll see that this type of loving each other, as Christ loved us, this keeping of this new commandment is the, fruitful, the fruit of abiding, truly being in Christ Jesus, that our obedience would bear the fruit of love the fruit of service, and so prove to the world that we belong to Him. This love, in fact, there is no greater love than Christ, as I have loved you, type love. So let's look back at verse 13 again. 12 and 13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than He laid on His life for His friends. A few weeks ago in our look at chapter 13, I pointed out that we often have uh, kind of a a dramatic or romanticized version of this verse, right? When we hear that, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. We think, man, like to lay down your life for someone, right? We have images of taking a bullet for someone, right? This movie type love, right? Or like someone's in the middle of the road and you got to run over there and shove them out of the way before they get hit by the bus and all of a sudden Splat. Right? I would lay down my life for you. It's dramatic. It's romantic. But every day, multiple times a day, we have the opportunity to actually, in reality, lay down our lives and serve each other. Multiple times a day, we have this opportunity. We probably never have the opportunity to take a bullet for someone. But every day, multiple times a day, with your spouse, with your kids, you have multiple opportunities to love as I have loved you, that type of Jesus love. First John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love. You want to know what love looks like? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What a beautiful text that dovetails so nicely with this passage that we have in in chapter 15 today. The laying down of our lives looks less like taking a bullet and more like not being too busy for each other. The laying down of our lives looks less like taking a bullet for someone and more like opening our eyes to each other's situations. This is why I love community groups. There's only so much community. There's almost so much knowing each other that can happen on Sunday, especially especially when you guys show up late and you leave early ooh, Pastor Kevin just called us out. No, I'm just saying, and I get it. I, I, we're, I'm late all the time. I'm late all the time. All the time. But here's the thing, like, we need to be in each other's lives. The reason why we have coffee is not just to feed your caffeine fix. It's to slow us down a little bit and have a cup of coffee and talk with each other. It's to slow us down a little bit so we actually get to know each other. The fact that we have pastries and whatever it is, isn't because we're trying to be cool or, or just like, ah, like attractional, like who, who cares about donuts, other than the fact that it slows us down a little bit to get to know each other. And so when we get to know each other, we get to see our needs, we share prayer requests in community groups. We get to carry those burdens with one another. I got a need. All of a sudden, people are stepping up. Like I remember some beautiful t- stories of people who were short on rent and community group helped pay for rent for that day, for that month. Like be- like stepping up. Back in the day, I remember like we had a guy in our community group, he's like, "Yeah, our sidewalk's all busted up and it's all in trouble." And you're like, our community group got together, we poured concrete together, wheelbarrows full of concrete and laid down a new sidewalk for this guy. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Laying down our lives means slowing our own agendas down opening our eyes to see the needs that are right in front of us. They are there. They are right there. It's laying down our agendas, laying down our ambitions, and seeing the needs in front of us. There's so many times where my love is not actively looking for those moments to serve. I'm actually kind of trying to avoid them in my flesh. Anybody else? I'm just too busy. I don't have time for this stuff. So if I just, like, keep my head down and don't like actually look up and see the need, then I'm not responsible for the need. I'm a sneaky little swindler. That's, That's all it is. My heart is. If I keep my head down, if I look busy, then I don't have to attend to the needs that I see around me. We're real opportunistic that way. But man, if I get my eyes up, see the needs, to know people, to be known by people, to have them know me as a pastor, that is so, so important for me. To be known by you guys so that you guys can see the struggles that I have, that you guys can take the gifts that God has given you and press those gifts into my life. I need it. You need it. We need to open our eyes in love this kind of love that Jesus has displayed for us. Let's read our text again. Uh, Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Let's stop right there. Do you understand the joy it is to be a friend of God? When you look through the scriptures, there are diff- there's different language used for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? Sons and daughters. Here we have friends. Uh, we've, we've seen sheep, right? Like uh, earlier in John chapter 10, we talked about the good shepherd and that we are his sheep, that he has called us by name, that we know his voice, that we belong to him. But what a joy it is to be a friend of God, not an enemy. Not in some acrimonious state, not in some combative state with the God of the universe, the God of salvation. That's the longing of every heart, the heart of mankind, right? Even when you can't pinpoint it, it is to be in right relationship with God. All of our hurting friends and family... Right? They can't quite pinpoint that ache that they feel in their soul, but that ache is just being right with God. Being right, being made like in a right standing in their heart, their soul, and with the God of the universe. And here he calls his disciples, true followers of him, he calls them friends. They're in a right state. They're not an enemy you see that in, te- in, the, in the scriptures in, in various places. But in our text, he says, not a servant, not a slave, not, not someone who is merely told or forced to obey and submit, but in our text, he calls us, those in Christ Jesus, he calls his disciples friends. Like last week, there's a little prepositional phrase in the text that we read today. That if not understood rightly, can produce some very horrible theology. Can produce a life full of burden and fret and anxiety and toil. Not one of peace and joy and love that we've talked about already this morning. Let's read verse 13. It says, Great, greater love has no one than this. than someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. The way you read that little if statement makes all the difference in the world, right? You can read if statements a couple different ways. If you do what I command you, if creates a condition statement in a lot of cases, often contractual language, right? At your workplace, if you do the work you've been hired to do, the work you've been contracted for, if you do the work... You get paid the agreed-upon amount, right? We use this, as parents, we use this kind of language all the time, right? If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. If you don't eat all your dinner, you can't have any ice cream, right? All these condition statements. If we read it this way, if you do what I command you, then you will be my friend, we are going to have this whole thing dead wrong, you see clearly that that's not how friends talk to each other. If you do what I command you, then you will be my friend, right? Friends don't talk to each other this way. Maybe kids, right? I think I've heard kids talk to this way. Like, if you let me play with your sweet toys, then we'll be best friends kind of thing. But Jesus doesn't do that. He is the one who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus. He's the truest friend. He's the one that never leaves. He's the one that never abandons us. He's the one who doesn't bail on the days that we don't get it right. There's a lot of days where we don't get it right. You ever have a day that starts off really awesome, but by the end of the day, you're just like, what happened? How did, how did it go so wrong? He doesn't bail. He's closer than a brother. Closer than a brother. There are many of us, oftentimes, we don't treat Jesus this way. There are fake followers who only follow Him because their bellies are full of fish that we talked about last week. I'll be your friend, Jesus, if if you obey my commands. I'll be your friend, Jesus, if you do it my way. As soon as you don't do it my way and my wisdom, then I doubt you. I doubt your faithfulness. I doubt... Your love for me. I'll be your friend, Jesus, if you operate on my terms in my time. We forget that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his love for us is enduring and everlasting. We have to get this if right. Our faith and our eternity depends on it. The if here is not, you must earn my love. If you obey my commands, then you are my friends. You must earn my friend status with me by keeping my commands, right? That's a works-based false doctrine. But Christ over and over, already in the book of John, has shown us how much he loves us. He looks at his disciples, he says, I love you and I lay down my life for you. I've called you and I've appointed you like a good shepherd. I've called you by name, I've made you my sheep, you're my friend, and it will be evidenced by fruitful command-keeping. It will be evidenced by fruitful obedience Right? So the way you read this if statement is so important. We do not earn or merit the death of Christ. He lays it down. We see His great love. And by the Spirit of God, that produces a change in us, a rebirth by His spirits, And then we obey His commands, and it's beautiful evidence that we are His friends. It's beautiful evidence that we are His friends and so prove to be his disciples. Christ has laid down his life, starting with a manger, right? Leaving an exalted throne in the heavens. He puts on flesh. He dwells among us, right? He laid down his life. In a few short chapters here, Christ is going to go to the cross. Be that ultimate sacrifice to lay down his life for the ones that he calls his friends. It's not just soft, gushy, touchy feely language, it's status language, it's position language, it's in Christ language. He made us friends. Those of us that he's called out of darkness those of us that he's called out of this world, those of us that he's called by name and made righteous, he continues to cleanse and purify with his word, as we talked about two weeks ago. The ones of us who could never keep the commands purely, right? The ones of us who constantly rebel, constantly fall short. The ones of us who don't love him back, right? It's very one-sided, this love of his, He loves with the greater love. He lays down his life. We often kick and scream for selfish autonomy, but he is faithful. Where he is faithful, we're adulterous, but he lays down his life and makes us his own. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us and gave himself for us. When we behold that great love, that greater love is no one than this. Lay down our lives and follow him. It's a beautiful comparison here today in our text. <clears throat> We've got friends, and oftentimes we think the opposite of friends would be enemies, right? And you actually see that language in, in different places in scripture, kind of in, in Ephesians chapter two, definitely in Romans chapter five, right? We are enemies of God. Even while we were enemies, he still died for us. He still loved us. But here the comparison is friends and servants. Verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. See, you have relationships here. There's a Father, there's the Son, there are friends, and there are servants. He says in our text today that he does not call them servants, but he calls them friends. And the difference seems here between a friend and a servant is that a friend knows and a servant does not know. Verse 15 again says, For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You realize that through the Holy Scriptures, that Bible that you hold in your hands, And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. We lack nothing. We lack nothing with the Spirit of God in the Word of God. We lack nothing. He calls us friends because He has given us all. He has revealed it all to those who are in Him. He chose you. He chose to reveal Himself to you. He chose to reveal to you that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has appointed and designed us, destined us to bear fruit, and that fruit would abide. Servants don't know. Servants don't know. They feel like they're just forced to obey, but we're friends. We're friends. We've seen his great love, and we respond in love. We obey in love. That's the life of a Christian. Are you struggling to obey? Are you struggling with obeying? Does it still seem hard? Does it still seem like you're giving something up? Abide. Press in press into the Spirit of God, press into the Word of God, abide in Him. The fruit of obedience, the fruit that's going to come, is going to come by abiding. Getting in, remaining in, digging in, and staying in Christ Jesus and His Word. There's so many times, like, there, there have been different times, different seasons in my life where I feel like I'm... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> constantly battling sin, and I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to try harder. Self-determination, different tactics, whatever it is, distract myself, like whatever it is, I'm just going to try harder. It's easier than that. Do you realize it's easier than that? Abide. Get into. Press into. Spend time with. Get into his word get into prayer, commune with the God of the universe who called you and made you his own. He calls you friends. He's given us everything. He doesn't call us servants because he's made known to us all of it. He's made known to us the path of righteousness. He's made known to us everything that we need to bear fruit. We just have to abide. We just have to abide. Today, if you're burdened by your sin, if you're burdened by uh, the struggle with obedience, please fight the temptation to just try harder. You, now, now, let me say this. There are times where we just need to make bold, dramatic um, uh, decisions of repentance, right? Right? A lot of times we don't repent. We just say, I'm sorry, but we don't repent. You ever do that? You ever you feel the temptation of that? You screw up again? Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, repent. Actually turn. Actually make an adjustment, a hard decision that is repentant, that is full of repentance. Turn and move and do something. So like in this place, there, maybe there's things that you know there's a move that you need to make, and you need to do it. Make the move. Repent. But please, don't just try harder as you leave this place today. Abide. Being a Christian is just not not sinning. Did I say that right? Not sinning is not the goal. Abiding is the goal. In Christ is the goal. If I abide in him, fruit will be born. I will bear fruit. I will, if I abide in him, I will say no to my flesh more often. If I don't abide in him, I'm going to struggle over here real bad, be frustrated and downcast all the time. If I abide in him, I will see him, behold him, draw life and strength and power and whatever I ask, whatever I ask in his name, we haven't even touched on those verses, whatever I ask in his name The Father is faithful. He will give it to us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to respond again today in worship. And I know that God is faithful. I know that He's faithful to His text. I know that He is faithful to this church. And so whatever the Lord is laying on your heart today, you know how to respond. Please fight the urge to just Sit in this moment, maybe feel bad, maybe say I'm sorry, and not abide. In this moment itself, abide. When you go from this place today, abide. We will be the church that he has called us to be. Understand that he calls you friends. Understand that he calls you his own, that he has got great Love, a love so deep that he has laid himself down for you. He is not just shaking his head, disappointed in you all the time. He loves you. Your struggle, your sin, your hurt, your pain breaks his heart. You're his friend. If you're in him, you're his friend. Walk in the victory that is in abiding in Christ. And rejoice over fruit. Give glory to God. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to actually have the band maybe start playing, but I'm not going to have them. Don't start singing yet. Don't sing yet. Just like, even if it's just that organ, that's fine too. Just that noise, whatever that is. I want you to pray. Just pray. Spend some time in prayer. A lot of times we like to fill these moments. I just kind of feel convicted right now. Like, we don't have to fill all the moments with noise and song and singing. Right now, you and Jesus, you and the Holy Spirit, we can do some business. Just sit in that moment and let him do his work in you. Father, thank you for this morning. Jesus, thank you for your work. Thank you that you call us friends you've called us your own that you've made us your own we have a life life everlasting because of you that these lives that we have then should be full of beautiful fruitful obedience loving serving giving just as you have loved us god we fall so short i fall so short i'm selfish self-absorbed my eyes are down my agenda is strong God help us to empty ourselves not out of guilt not out of shame but you've called us friends help us to abide help us to commune help us to remain and stay in you beautiful word that you've given us, the words of life so that we will love just as you've loved us, that we will love with an sacrificial, me ending love Christ exalting love church building love help us to abide I thank you that we do not lack that your spirit is alive in this room and in these lives that your word is true and never ever changes God do your work in us I pray we ask this in Jesus name just take a moment in your seats and you just spend some time in prayer with God In a moment, I'll just have Nate start singing. When Nate starts singing, then let's stand and let's sing along with him. Continue this moment with our God.